0: to you, we turn to
1: morning, Cypress Bible Church. Oh, I can do better than that. Good morning. There we go. That's better. That's better. Um, I was thinking this week as I was practicing how much I enjoy music. And one of my earliest influences in music, interestingly, well, maybe not interestingly to you, but it was the Sons of the Pioneers. And even before I was in kindergarten, I learned how to put a record on the record player and play my parents Sons of the Pioneers albums. And the reason I liked it is because I loved hearing the vocals and the people singing together. And it stuck with me. It sticks with me to this day. I can still listen to Tumble and Tumbleweeds and do that. And I bring that up because it was brought to my attention this week that sometimes when we're worshiping, people don't know that they're, if they're supposed to be singing or not. And that, never, that thought has never occurred to me because I sing all the time, even when it's inappropriate. <laughs> and as such, I want to encourage everybody to sing. And so today, we're going to do, it'll be a little bit different. You'll notice that all of our absolutely wonderful, talented, brilliant, and beautiful singers are going to be singing all the time. And that's the part of, of being in this room, in particular, and the part that I missed when we were online, there's nothing like hearing everybody sing. So please do that this morning as we lift up the name of Jesus. Start off with a little older song.
0: Jesus, name above all. Beautiful song, glorious Lord. E ação.
3: You may be seated. In the beautiful name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we welcome you today to worship with us here at Cypress Bible Church, whether you are with us in person or you're here or visiting us virtually. Um, Our church mission is to gather in life-changing worship, to grow in life-changing truth, and to go in life-changing mission. And we are very glad that you are here and that you can be a part of what the Lord Jesus is doing Uh, We do have a few announcements. One is we need to start off with a COVID announcement. Um, If you look around, you can tell that because of the CDC and the governor and other things and the uh, rates of uh, COVID uh, are on a very serious decline. Um, We've become a a voluntary mask environment. And um, it looks like a majority of you um, have gone mask free this morning. You received the announcement uh, from Pastor John this week, um, the request to have a mass burning outside have been um, we 're we're not going to do that today. We did get a few requests um, so we 're not going to go Old Testament here and have a burnt offering um, so in light of that, um, I think it is good that we rejoice uh, knowing that our state and our nation is coming to a place with this um, disease, this illness uh, where we can move on with life, and, um, and it's a good thing. So we're very grateful to the Lord that we're moving into a place of greater health uh, for all people. Uh, we do have, um, also, you'll see that there's uh, very little blue tape. I see one or two blue tapes over here, but we're asking you to sit reasonably and uh, with, you know, proper um, wisdom and how close that you get to people. Um, so just please bear that in mind. Um, also, our children's ministry Um, We need nine more adults and three more youth volunteers to begin our summer classes on June 6th. And so if you exit through the back doors into the commons area, you'll see a red door. If you'd go over there and pick up a card or speak to someone there, we'd love to have you volunteer. Uh, We're going to queue up a video here. We had a winter storm response. Uh, This congregation came to the aid of uh, 45 people from our congregation who were negatively affected And so here's the video to give a summary of what the Lord has done.
4: Hi, I'm David Othola. I serve as the disaster response coordinator for our church. My role is to coordinate the efforts of the numerous volunteers responding to help other members of our congregation who have suffered damage. Uh, from a storm such as this past winter storm. I coordinated the efforts of approximately 22 uh, volunteers at our church who helped out uh, making plumbing repairs, uh, removing damaged flooring, and doing drywall repairs in about 22 homes. So I want to thank all of them for the great effort that they made uh, to get this done and to serve others. I want to also point out that God provided greatly for us. Uh, Not only did he provide the funds that we needed, to help our members, um, but he also enabled us to get the parts and the components we needed when normally these things were very scarce. God works in amazing ways, and we just want to thank everyone for their efforts and contributions in restoring these homes that were damaged due to the winter storm.
5: Hi, we're Jordan and Kara Bennett, and we are recipients of the donation funds for the winter storm of 2021. We sustained 11 busted pipes in the brand new home we just moved into last summer. And we are working with contractors to get all of our damaged materials repaired.
6: We were so uh, blessed by the funds the church graciously gave us to help offset costs insurance didn't cover. And we just wanna thank you so much for the help.
5: We can't believe um, how gracious everyone was and we're shocked to have been chosen to receive some of those funds. And we're just so blessed to be a part of a great community and a wonderful church family that has really rallied around all of us and taking care of us. So we're so appreciative to everyone that donated time and prayers and funds, and we just thank you guys so much.
3: Thank you so much. One of the fun things of having pastoral oversight over our disaster response is seeing how God brought so many people together all working towards one unifying purpose— which was to meet the needs of those who'd been affected by the storm. One of the things that we saw was David overseeing and going into the homes of 45 different people. And out of those 45 different homes, we had 16 apply for funding out of our designated fund that you've given to. And God blessed us in so many ways. We've been able to um, write checks to 11 of those 16 families as we're still remaining uh, five people are trying to get all their expenses in because there's such a backlog of construction here in Houston because so many people were affected. But it's been so great to live out the implications of Acts chapter two, verse 45, that says that all the believers were unified and they shared of their possessions and gave to those who were in need. And so we're really grateful that we're all able to be a part of living out the implications of the scriptures. Let's give thanks to the Lord. In just a moment, we're going to pray now and ask the Lord to visit with us as we worship Him, but uh, following the prayer um, will be a portion of our worship service that's devoted to our children. Um, Our children are um, part of God's covenant. We love them, and we give them space in our worship time, so uh, following our prayer, we'll have a worship video for our children. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for the mercies that we have received by your grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. And dear Father, we ask you in this time where so many people have felt so isolated and abandoned that you would be present with us today as we worship you, that you would manifest your spirit both in our midst and in our hearts. And we recognize, Lord, coming through this last year that Uh, There's many things in this world um, that we really um, see as being really sinful and corrupt. We've had to deal with disease and isolation. And so, Lord, we come to you confessing our own sin. We confess our sins of envy, our sins of anger, our sins of lust and slothfulness, our pride, our selfishness. We come to you knowing that we can confess our sins Uh, because the Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, is our Savior, and he came and he died for us. And through his life and his ministry and his resurrection, we are the recipients of reconciliation with you, Father. We thank you for the forgiveness of our sins, dear Jesus, that you have earned for us. And we ask that you would give us your Holy Spirit, that we would live out the implications of the grace that we have received today and every day this week. We pray that you would be with us as we listen to the word of God preached. We thank you uh, for the love that we will hear from the message today, and help us to understand that love is not just an emotion. Love is the person of Jesus, and love is the manner in which you um, treat us, dear Father. And so may we um, celebrate your love this day, and we ask all of this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Amen.
2: 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8a. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not want what belongs to others. It does not brag. It is not proud. It does not dishonor other people. It does not look out for its own interests. It does not easily become angry. It does not keep track of other people's wrongs. Love is not happy with evil, but it is full of joy when the truth is spoken. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It never gives up. Love never fails. Love is patient. Wait calmly. Love is kind. Be gentle, helpful, and loving to others. It does not want what belongs to others. Don't be jealous of what others have. It does not brag. It is not proud.
5: Remembering, it's not about me. I need to think of others.
2: It does not dishonor other people.
5: Don't embarrass and hurt others by making fun of them.
2: It does not look out for its own interests.
5: Think of others first.
2: It does not easily become angry.
5: Stop and think before you act in anger.
2: It does not keep track of other people's wrongs.
5: Don't point out when other people mess up.
2: Love is not happy with evil.
5: Don't be happy when others do wrong things. But it is full of
2: joy when the truth is spoken.
5: Be happy when God's truth is shared.
2: It always protects.
5: Love looks after others and cares for
2: others. It always trusts. It always hopes. It never gives up.
5: Love believes and rests in God. Love expects God to help and never gives up.
2: Love never fails.
5: I can remember. Love is thinking about others before myself and honoring God.
1: Would you stand, please?
6: Those words are a bit easier to sing than they are to live out. And So Lord, I pray that uh, as we struggle against our own will, our own desires, and our own flesh, that we would, uh, by the power of your Spirit, uh, live in a way where we surrender to you, your will, your way which is best. And I ask this in the powerful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. There's an old story that you might have heard, if you're old enough, about a little kid that went to the public library and found a book called How to Hug. And he was pretty interested in that. So he took it to the circulation desk, and the librarian refused to let him check it out because it was volume 7 of the encyclopedia. Some of you will get that later as you think about it. Lots of information in there between how and hug. Not all of it very relevant to what he thought and expected. And that uh, same thing is true in First Corinthians chapter 13. This is one of the greatest pieces of literature in history. Uh, you've heard it a lot. You've heard it in many weddings, likely. But as beautiful as it is, uh, this chapter is not about married love. As wonderful as this is, it's... Not that relevant for someone who doesn't follow Jesus. Now we've been studying 1 Corinthians for months, and uh, this letter was written to correct a church that was filled with all kinds of problems, such as sexual sin, spiritual pride, blurred gender lines, uh, the overindulging they were doing in food and alcohol while in church, and others in the church were starving, were going without. Uh, they were arguing over who was most important. Those are the, some of the kinds of problems that were happening in the church at Corinth. But now, uh, Paul is spending three chapters to straighten out their misunderstandings about spiritual giftedness. Chapter 12, 13, and 14, that's what this is about. Uh, in chapter 12, which we've already studied for a couple, three weeks, uh, he taught them that all of God's people are given different gifts for the good of the church, And that every single Christian is uniquely vital to the mission of God. And so no Christian should ever think, they don't need me. And no Christian should ever think, I don't need them. In chapter 14, which we'll get to eventually, uh, Paul's going to give some guidelines for using their gifts so that worship services will be well organized and meaningful. And right in the middle of all this comes 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind. Well, this was not written so people would have something nice to read at weddings. This was not written so baby boomers would print it in big letters on the wall of their living room. That's what we like to do. This was not written for calligraphy. This was written to address issues in the church, solving problems in the Corinthian church. So in the middle of all the conflict and the jealousy and the misuse of spiritual gifts, Paul says, you must operate in love as a local church. Now the Greek language had a number of words that were translated love, meant different things. I'll point out four of them to you right now. Uh, Storgo is uh, a word that does not appear in the New Testament at least not in that form it does in a negative form and it's parental love it's the warmth of a parent to a child that that kind of natural, instinctual affection Eros also does not appear in the New Testament Uh, it uh, refers to romantic, sensual, sexual love it's a word that was used a lot in the pagan cults aphrodite and others that were in corinth a word that does appear a lot in the new testament is phileo which is a word about affection and friendship a very natural very often used word in the greek language and then again in the new testament but then there's the word agape or agapeo or uh, a number of different variations of agape which really didn't get much use at all in the greek language in the culture. It was actually a colorless word. It it was an obscure word, but Christianity invested this word with new meaning. It's the New Testament that gives definition to what this agape love is all about. And we could define it as a a selfless love that sacrifices for the good of someone who, who has nothing to deserve it, who does nothing to deserve it. It's the type of love that's shown at the cross, Jesus. That self-sacrificing love for the good of those who don't deserve it. And this is the love that Paul describes here. This is the word agape throughout 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Here he powerfully describes what agape love is and what it isn't. And in doing this, he's indicting the Corinthian Christians for their lack of of love for not having this kind of love I want to divide this chapter into three sections the first three verses talk about how love matters and the middle section what love does and then last why love lasts now I'll confess to you that at least once in my lifetime I've preached a lengthy series on chapter 13 alone in fact, I remember there was a, a seven-week seven series on 1 Corinthians 13, now lost to the dust of history. I don't know what happened to it at all. No one else does either. But I'm not going to spend seven weeks. We're going to spend one morning, just 20 minutes or so. Why? Not because this isn't important and crucial, but so that we don't miss the context of what Paul is speaking about here. So we don't get a misconception about what Paul's words are about. Because every single thing in this chapter speaks to one of the Corinthian problems. So that's the the concept I want you to have as we go through this. Every thing here speaks to one of the problems that they were having in the Corinthian church. So let's take this a section at a time. And talk first about how love matters in the first three verses. Number one, love is what gives your work value. It's what gives it value. Verse one. And uh, I was remembering when my team was playing the uh, number one team in our conference uh, in our county, and uh, I generally played number three singles. Um, And the coach wanted to win more points, the possibility of of going against this tough team, and he thought, well, Bukem is going to lose anyway, so let's move him up to number one. And let him take the, the top guy, and then we'll move our better players down, and we might win a, a point or two and not, uh, look so terrible. So I didn't mind, uh, because, yeah, I'm playing the best guy in our county, but, uh, uh, that, that was, that was good. Now, my strength was a, a big serve in volley. So that, that's my strength. And I went into this match excited to do what I could, and, and, uh, Tommy Holtman was the the number one schoolboy there, and he he won that first game without any uh, say-so for me on his serve. So I thought, well, when I serve, I'm going to show him that I have something. And so I gave it everything I had to hit that serve as hard as I could possibly hit it in a place he could not possibly get it. And, And it was like a dream when I connected with that ball, and it zipped, and it hit right in the corner of the box and went right past Tommy Holtman. And then the umpire said, foot fault. Didn't count. Best serve of my life. Didn't matter. He beat me in about 15 minutes after that. Now, here's when your best serve doesn't count. Here's when your best serve doesn't count. No matter how great your ministry contribution, whatever it is, it doesn't score unless you do it in love. That's what Paul says. He lists several spectacular gifts that the Corinthians highly prized. And even these gifts, as great as they are, if you do them without love, he says it's pointless. Now what does that mean? We'll get to that. But let's understand, first of all, what Paul says here. Make sure we understand. The Corinthians were enamored with the speaking gifts. They valued eloquence and linguistic skill and soaring rhetoric and even maybe ecstatic speech. And they were proud of those gifts. And Paul takes it to the extreme and says, even if I could speak with the best of them, uh, even if I could talk like with the angels, it's just hollow performance without love. It's just noise. Now Paul, when he talks about cymbals and gonging here, he's referring to the Dionysus cult in Corinth. because To honor their God, those who were in this cult, mainly women, they, they would uh, sacrifice five times a day. And during that sacrifice, seven women would beat cymbals. They would clang symbols together. And while they were doing that, the rest of the group would shout chants and they would whirl and they would scream and they would dance. And so when Paul says this, he's they can easily see that he's saying without love, what you're doing is no better than pagan ritual. It's just noise. Next, he mentions prophecy, which is either foretelling future events or powerful teaching that reveals truth to the church. And and again, Paul uses hyperbole here. And he says, even if I could comprehend all the secrets and all the, the knowledge and wisdom of God, which is not possible, He said, even if I had a faith so extraordinary that I could relocate mountain ranges with a word, it's all worthless without love. And finally, he mentions generosity. Be generous even to the point of sacrifice, complete sacrifice. If I took everything I had, literally, in the Greek he says, if I broke it into crumbs. Like if I took all I had and I broke it into crumbs and gave it all to the needy, or even if I sacrificed my life, if I was a martyr who was burned. It's all invalid without love. Now, why? It's because every and anything that we do can be motivated by self-interest. I, I, whatever you do, anything you do can be motivated by self-interest. It can be about I want people to like me. I want people to notice me. I, I, I want to be appreciated. I want to be compensated fairly. I want to be respected. And so, no matter how spectacular the work, it's meaningless without love. That's what gives your work value. And what does this all mean? I'll give a few examples. Let's say you have the gift of hospitality. And therefore, you welcome somebody into your home and you treat them with honor as your guest, you cook them a fantastic meal, you have great conversation, and they go home basking in the warmth of your kindness and your generosity. But if this did not spring from the love of God in Christ, you have robbed yourself of spiritual benefit. Oh, the guest is fine. The guest feels like you love them and care for them, but you've robbed yourself. That's what Paul says repeatedly here. You get nothing out of this deal. You've robbed yourself of spiritual benefit. Or let's say you have the gift of helps or administration, and you've worked very hard to set up for an event. You work out the logistics. You shop for the supplies. You made decorations. You arranged the seating chart. You prepared the food. You you checked people in, and the event was flawless. It's a big success. If you didn't do this for love, in love, with love, it was a fail. And let's say you have the gift of music. And you practiced and you prepared and you performed and every note could be perfect. Every piece could be enjoyed by everyone. And yet if it was done for the love of music, or if it was done for your own satisfaction... And if it was not done out of self-sacrificing love for the good of others, it's just a lot of noise, Paul says. Now don't miss where this love is supposed to come from. It's not that, oh, I do this great thing and then people express love to me. No, that's not it at all. It's that whatever I do must be out of love, from love, or it fails. So the effectiveness of your gifts and your abilities, your service, can only be measured by whether or not you operate in love. The most inspiring leader, the most insightful Bible teacher, the most powerful prayer is robbed of all spiritual benefit unless it happens in love. Second, love is always actively demonstrated. This is the central section. Verse 4. Love is patient Love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And what is happening here are 15 different verbs that the apostle uses to define love. So agape love not a feeling. Agape love, not an emotion. Agape love is an action. Love has to be shown. John 3.16, God so agaped, so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's the love of God demonstrated in the sacrificing of His Son, Jesus And each of these verbs is in the present tense, a continuous present. It means that these are all habitual actions. Everything Paul says here in these verses. Uh, And and there's something that you do and you keep on doing. And no one can live this out perfectly except Jesus. Each verb is aimed at a specific flaw in the Corinthian church. We've talked about so many of their flaws over these weeks. And and each of these is directed at one of those. While, While praising love, Paul is prosecuting the church. So he says, here's what it means to become more like Jesus. You want a checklist for what it means to be be more like Jesus? It's here in 1 Corinthians 13. An agape love is never passive, it's always active. And it's very much a matter of what you do or don't do. So let's just point out some things here. That word patient, makrifumeo, is the Greek word, and it means to be long-tempered. Now, I want you to be thinking of each of these in reference to spiritual gifts. I'll try and help. This means patience gives the other person time to produce. Patience gives the other person time to produce. So if I'm truly going to love you, I must be willing to wait patiently for God to work in your life. And you need to wait patiently for Him to work in mine. No, it means I'm going to encourage you and I'm going to help you develop your spiritual gifts and and mature in faith. That's the kind of patience that's being talked about here. It's kind. That means to be good, gracious, constructive. This word did not exist before the New Testament. Paul, in fact, coined this word to describe the kindness that comes from Christ. It's a kindness meaning that it makes things better for others. That's what it means to be kind. It makes things better for others. This love is not simply something that's nice, but it appreciates the gifts of others and and encourages those gifts. It's constructive. It does not envy. That means that you don't resent the success of others. So that person who has the same gifts that you do, but seems to get more attention, seems to be more appreciated for those gifts, or, or maybe they have gifts that you wish you had, Love means you're not jealous of their gifts. You're not jealous of their success. Does not boast means you don't brag about your own gifts. After all, it means that when your contribution seems to get a lot of notice, seems to be very effective, seems to connect with more people, you don't flaunt that. You're not self-important in the use of your gifts. is not proud. Paul uses a word that means to be puffed up with air. So love doesn't have this inflated idea of its own importance that, oh, I have the really important gifts or, or my opinion about what's important is, is really what matters. It's this unhealthy pride. It's not rude. This word has sexual overtones, by the way. It carries the idea of behaving in a lewd or crude way. So... Love refuses to act in an indecent way that causes shame to another. That's, that's the rudeness here. You know, you just look at the news, right? There are people who use their spiritual gifts and abilities and position to take advantage of others, even in sexual ways. Obviously, love doesn't do that. Any way in which you, you might use something to manipulate others, that's a wrong use of the gifts. Uh, it, it's not self-seeking. Paul says, love doesn't demand me first. It doesn't strive for my own advantage. It's not wrapped up in my individual rights. It's not easily angered. So this kind of love is not thin-skinned. You can't provoke agape love without lots of hard work. Love doesn't get irritated easily by what's said or done. So how touchy are you as you serve God or as you involve yourself with others who are using their gifts. How touchy are you? Love's not easily angered. It doesn't keep any record of wrong. That that word for record is logizomai. And it's an accounting term. It, it means to to write it in a, in a ledger, to count it up, to calculate it. And so whenever you keep a record, it's because you have a view of repayment in mind. You, you're balancing the books. Love doesn't keep that kind of record. It doesn't keep score. This is the same love that's talked about in, in Romans four eight. This says, blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against him. It's legismi. Blessed is the one that God doesn't keep a, a, a ledger on because it's been wiped clean by Christ. His blood washes away our sin, our record of wrong and evil of Jesus. It does not delight in evil. That, that word for evil is just unrighteousness. It, it's sin of, of any kind. So love doesn't find joy in that. It doesn't applaud when somebody is misusing their gifts, when they're manipulating people. Do you know, you know, people who, who are successful sometimes Those who are following them, those who admire them, excuse their sin because, well, he's getting a lot done. Look how many people are here. Look how much money is coming in. Look at how successful we are. And in that sense, they're applauding unrighteousness and evil. Love doesn't do that. But it rejoices with the truth. So love isn't neutral takes the side of truth and it doesn't quit it it remains under this this word here this persevering it's actually a military term it was used of the roman army holding position against attack so when things get tough agape love breaks out the shovels digs a foxhole and holds position it's always actively demonstrated not an emotion not a feeling last section Third, your love is your eternally significant contribution. It's your eternally significant contribution. Verse eight Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now, we know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have fully been known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Understand, Paul is saying that all the gifts are partial. All the gifts are temporary. They don't last. Even those gifts that the Corinthians were so obsessed with aren't going to last. Paul points out, prophecy and knowledge, he says, will o. That means they will be abolished. They will end. Katergeto. When will they end? When the, the perfect comes. When things are perfect, we won't need another word from God prophecy. When things are perfect, we won't need more knowledge of God for, because we'll see Him face to face. And, and this perfect is, is, is the end. I believe it's the eternal state. In eternity, these gifts that you so much prize will pass away. They will end. They'll be abolished. And Paul says tongues will pa'o. It's the word he uses. Not ketergeo, but pa'o. That's a different word and it means to cease. And it's in the middle voice, so I believe that it, it's saying that this gift will stop on its own. Now, in contrast to these, which he says will end, love doesn't. There is no end. When the perfect comes, love continues on. Now, now don't miss this. Your God-given gifts are important. Each believer is uniquely vital to the mission. But only when you exercise your gift in love will there be lasting impact. The only way that your gift has lasting impact is when you exercise it in love. Why? Because when you're exercising your gift in love, God is doing it. And if God is doing it, it will last. Every time I function without love, I rob God of glory. Love continues through death to eternity. The value of my sermon won't last to eternity. The value of my sermon probably won't last to the parking lot. But with love, that continues. It's non-perishable. It's death-proof. Love gives every spiritual act eternal value so contrary to what some of you might think the goal is not of the christian life is not how many bible studies you attend it's not even how many you lead some christians seem to think that there's some sort of special heavenly crown if they're in multiple bible studies until they die not so what lasts is the love you demonstrated in the study What lasts is the love with which you led the study. What lasts is the love that you showed in living out that study. The goal of the Christian life is not praying X amount of time per day, an hour or two hours, whatever it might be. No, what matters is the love with which you prayed. The goal of the Christian life is not how much money you gave for missions or benevolence or church ministry. What lasts is the love with which you gave. The goal of the Christian life is not how long you worked in children's ministry, how many lessons you taught in children's ministry, or that you hold the record in children's ministry for not losing any children under your care. What matters and what endures is the love with which you ministered. The love you showed to each student, to their parent, to the other helpers. Now, just counting, I would say, the last ten years, people from Cypress Bible Church have shared the gospel with tens upon tens of thousands of people, from Houston to New York City, from Mexico to Nepal. Now the gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. So the proclamation of that gospel has infinite importance, eternal importance. But listen to this. The contribution of those who shared the gospel only has eternal significance if it was done out of love, in love, and for love gospel very important your contribution only counts if you do that in love and for love your service in whatever capacity will be an eternally significant contribution if there was love one writer called agape love the currency of heaven love is what matters love is what we long for we love long for this love that doesn't end that which god showed to us Stephen Um says that when his grandmother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, she spent the last few years of her life stuck somewhere between the present and the past. And she no longer recognized her husband and even called him by the name of her old boyfriend. But she was well cared for. She was surrounded by her family. And this much was clear. She had nothing to offer. That's agape love. That's the kind of love all of us want to experience. Love that gives with no expectation of return on investment. Love that endures when there is nothing left. That's the love that God showed to us in Christ. And contrary to the Corinthian obsession with the spectacular spiritual gifts, Paul says those are going to disappear. But what remains are faith, hope, and love. And love is the greatest love is the largest love is the strongest that's what that word means love is primary and that's because love is who god is the love of god that looked down at our broken fallen rebellious world and said i would die for you and the good news of jesus is that i did die for you he says it's already done i became nothing so that you would know that you aren't nothing And the gospel is that the game has already been won. That in Christ, love stepped out into the playing field of history, and through what looked like a tragic loss, his execution, bloody death on the cross, came ultimate victory. And Jesus triumphed through his glorious resurrection from the grave, defeating sin and death and hell. And that's how we know that love never ends. It's already beaten sin, death, and hell in Christ. And so this is how we must operate as a church. If we're ever going to be more like Jesus, this is how our service to God, to one another, must look. So within the first year or so that I was pastoring a a church some time back, there was a family who was very important to the church moving out of state. I'll call them the W's. And they had been very heavily invested in the church. And in fact, Mrs. W had been the one that put together all the receptions. She was the leader in this. She was just a genius at putting on the mission dinners or any kind of special event. She was in the center of that, organizing and making it happen. And now she and her family were moving out of state. So they put on a reception for the W's. And I would say there was maybe about 150, maybe 200 people there recognizing this family and the, how the Lord had used them and their time at the church. And somewhere in the middle of this reception, Mrs. W. said, I want to say something. I was like, that took everybody by surprise because she wasn't somebody who said much. And I was on the fringes of this crowd, but, but uh, I, I, she said something like this. Now that I'm going, somebody else is going to have to take over this job, and some of you others who've been sitting around doing nothing need to help. Boy, that put a crimp in the party. There was some nervous laughter and a lot of silence, and some people who were sad weren't quite as sad anymore. But it's possible. That maybe near the end of her ministry, Mrs. W. was struggling to exercise her gift with love. And isn't that where we all find ourselves from time to time? You are uniquely vital to God's mission. But here's what matters most Were you motivated by love? Did you act with love? Did you grow? in love because in the end only love remains Lord thank you for your great love to us in Christ Jesus thank you that you have richly poured out your blessing upon us may that be our motivation our power by your spirit to live for you in this world that we would be the body of Christ that we would exercise our gifts that you have graciously given to us in love, knowing that that's what lasts. Whatever those gifts are, Lord, may that be how we use them for your glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Would you stand with us? Join us in song.
0: Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make the wretches treasure. How great the pain of sin. Turns his eyes away, and words which mother I chose are mine. Bring many sons to the
6: addiction. Now may the love of God the Father and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.
0: Waves is rising, eyes are turning to You. We turn to You. Hope is stirring, hearts are yearning for You.